We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? There are, of course, concrete answers to that question. The man and his wife were among the trees in the garden. They were behind loincloths of fig leaves. But really, it's a rhetorical question. God knows the answer. It's a rhetorical question with profound implications. We can only speculate about the time and the circumstances prior to what's recorded in Genesis chapter 3. It's likely that this was not God's first walk in the garden in the cool of the day. It had been days, months since creation. The almost casual way the remark is presented, it would seem that God and the first couple had spoken before. But this time, instead of running towards him, anxiously anticipating this conversation, they run away from him. It's a visual portrayal of original sin. Since that day, it's the natural inclination of man to run away. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, Paul writes. Hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Well, fig leaves... Fig leaf loincloths are not in fashion today, thank goodness. But among the trees, we find many modern hiding places. The most common trees are outright denial. Either whether atheism, there is no God, or scientism, everything is a part of God, or more comparative morality, I'm better than so-and-so, which is essentially making myself a God, at least on a good day. Christianity is not a religion of morality, though. It's about relationships. God's will is set right. To set right what man has broken compels him. If man seeks to avoid God, then God seeks out man. Where are you? God's question does not seek information. It's a pedagogical question. It seeks to instruct. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Does Adam answer the question? Of course not. You know, I know, every son of Adam and daughter of Eve knows that she, he, it, the devil made me do it. Even worse, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me, thus attempting to make God the author of evil. If we reflect on the context of Genesis 3, back up into Genesis chapter 2, we see how grievous this compounding of sin is. She whom Adam recognized as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, categorically the best, greatest blessing God gave to man, a helper fit for him, now, in modern terminology, is thrown under the bus. I pray this gives pause to all married couples to recognize each other for what they are, God's greatest gift. Who told you? It's a well-learned lesson to place blame elsewhere. But no excuse is ever a solution to sin. The sin remains. We are simply lost, hopelessly lost, unless God comes and finds us. What is this that you have done? God asks the woman. Notice that Adam's compounding of sin is not even worthy of God's rebuke. 
And Eve proves herself to be flesh of my flesh using the same irresponsible excuse. The serpent deceived me and I ate. As if the serpent stole her will and forced her to eat. My accountability is forfeit to that which you created. Three rhetorical questions. Where, who, and what? Collectively, they capture the creation-altering change that takes place in this text. From now on, every son of Adam and daughter of Eve must confess with David, In sin did my mother conceive me. No longer does the first couple live in the perfection of the present, tending the garden. Instead, they, we, live in the hope of perfection, trusting in the promise. Which promise is that? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who would fulfill that promise? Where are you? That was Eve's first reaction in Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Are you, the, are you here? Are you the fulfillment of the promise? Luther points out the craftiness of God's promise. Satan, too, must fear every son of Eve. For generation upon generation, the promise is renewed to Noah and Abram, to Isaac and Jacob. David also heard and believing prophetically wrote, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool, your footstool. Until the answer finally comes. Where? To a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It is the great mystery of the Incarnation, among the most profound in our faith. Emmanuel, we just sang. Emmanuel, God with us. Our confessions and our systematic writings go to great efforts to state clearly what we can and cannot say about this mystery. It is not correct to say that the second person of the Trinity descended into Mary's womb. Rather, the fruit of her womb, a single egg, was taken up into the divinity by the power of the Spirit, and a God-man zygot is. Eternal as regards its divinity, temporal as regards its humanity. Yet one person, truly God and man. And a little over 20 days later, a beating heart, unlike that of countless generations before it, a heart free from original sin, a true heart of flesh, as Ezekiel speaks of in chapters 11 and 36, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Who told you? It's the second question of the garden. Well, the in utero Baptist, leaping in his mother's wombs in the, in the presence of the mother of God. The witness of the angels outside Bethlehem. An ancient Simeon in the temple who gave us the menace. Lord, now let your, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. 
Those, of course, are all in Luke's account. In Mark, who told you? It's the voice of the Father at the Jordan. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Yet there's a curious thing about Mark's account. Who else hears those words? Only John and Jesus are mentioned as being present. And it is emphatically addressed only to Jesus. You, you yourself are my beloved Son. And grammatically, only Jesus sees the heavens ripped apart immediately before that. So who else hears? You and I, the reader, that we may have the confidence of the centurion at the cross. Truly, this man was the Son of God. For most of Mark's account, who told you of the garden is, who are you? Notice the confusion in our gospel reading. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. And the scribes are convinced that he's by the power of Beelzebub that he casts out demons. And Mark, the demons all know who he is. But the disciples stumble. So what did you do? The third question becomes the most critical. What? Exactly as the promise foretold. The proto-evangelium, the first fruits. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. The third hour, they crucified him. The sixth hour, there was darkness over the land. In the ninth hour, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus gives voice to the crushing of his heel. It's the sound of victory to Satan. Another triumph on a tree. But it was a trap. And the young man in white said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The great stone had been rolled away, rolled over Satan's head, and crushed it. You are redeemed. Your enemy is defeated. So three questions. Where, who, what? Where are you? You are baptized into his death and therefore also his resurrection. Famously in Romans 6, but also in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In him you are a new creation. So where are you? In him. But also in this body of believers, set into family for a reason, as I talked about with the children, to learn the Bible as the only infallible authority in all manners of faith and life, to learn the confessions as a true and genuine exposition of the doctrines of the Bible, and to serve one another and those outside this congregation, to love the last, the lost, and the least, so who told you? Well, once again, I point you to your baptism. If you are baptized an adult, then speak again the confession that you confessed at that time. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. If you are baptized as a child, hear the witness of your parents and your sponsors. Read again the words on your baptismal certificate. In it, the triune God declares, you are mine. And again, I point to this body of believers. God speaks to us here in this place, in his word. 
and we speak back to him the same word in thanksgiving. Finally, what is it that you have done? And here we come back to Adam and Eve and our propensity to hide, to hide even our faith. I wonder how many of you have been following along with Portals of Prayer this week. There were two meditations that really caught my imagination. They both spoke of Rosa Young and her unflagging spirit. How she walked hundreds of miles to share the good news in rural Alabama with farming families in rows of cotton and elderly ex-slaves in shacks deep in the piney woods. And then in Wednesday's reading, as an old woman being visited herself in the nursing home. James Wiggins recalled that before we left, she would always reach out her hand and touch my brother and me and ask, are you boys going to be pastors when you grow up? And we would always respond, yes, ma'am. Where is the next son of the congregation to fill the office? Where is the next daughter of the congregation to be a Lutheran school teacher or a missionary? The need is pressing, and it only gets greater. It might make us uneasy to ask such questions. But God sought us out, even in our hiding place. Where are you? Baptized into Christ. Who told you? God does, in his word and by the Spirit. And what did you do? Rather, what will you do in Christ? Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.